Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I'd like to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ, and today I'm very pleased to have as my guest Dr. Anjana Bahat. She's on faculty in the Department of Physical Therapy, Biomechanics, and Movement Sciences in the University of Delaware, as well as with the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the same university. Today we're going to discuss an article she and her co-author published in PTJ. It's entitled, Creative Yoga Intervention Improves Motor and Imitation Skills of Children with Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. This is a really interesting article, Anjana. I'll summarize it for our listeners, and then we can talk about it. Okay? Sounds good. Yep. The authors used an experimental design to evaluate the effects of an eight-week physical therapy intervention that used creative yoga versus an academic control intervention focused on the motor and imitation skills of 24 children aged 5 to 13 with ASD. At the completion of the intervention, children in the yoga group improved their gross motor performance and displayed fewer imitation or practice errors when copying training-specific yoga poses. In contrast, the children in the control group improved their fine motor performance and performed fewer imitation errors while completing the training-specific building actions. The authors concluded that creative interventions such as creative yoga are promising tools for enhancing the motor and imitation skills of children with ASD. I was really struck in your introduction Anjana, that you talk about the motor performance of children with ASD is at the level of children with typical development who are about half their chronological age, along with generalized praxis deficits. So these children really have significant impairments that could really cascade to affect social communication and cognitive development going forward. Why do you think motor and praxis impairments are linked to those future social communication and cognition in these kids? First off, I would like to say that, uh, you know, when I talk about this to my colleagues in other professions, um, an opposing argument that I get from these professionals is that motor skills like walking or reaching are not affected in children with autism. And so, you know, why would we... um, why would we treat motor problems in this population? And so I would like to note that there are many more motor skills that children learn in childhood other than reaching and walking, and those are deficient in children with ASD. So, for example, fundamental play skills like jumping, hopping, skipping, ball skills are affected in children with ASD, and that will affect their ability to engage in play on the playground and play with others. 
uh, and this will in turn affect their ability to develop friendships and connections with their peers. Another set of motor skills are daily living skills, like dressing, putting your socks on, tying shoelaces, um, you know, transitioning from point A to point B, managing your work, and all the action sequences that go with it. Um, or cooking, cleaning, all of this requires you to perhaps observe these skills uh, as others perform them and also practice these, these skills to some extent, um, which requires coordination and planning, and that is affected in children with ASD. And the third set is recreational skills that are uh, mostly organized, socially embedded activities like outdoor play, sports, dancing, musical activities, these require coordination and planning as well and are affected um, in this population and it also affects their ability to participate in their community. So if such various motor skills are affected in children with ASD, how might that impact their social communication development? And that is, you know, easier to explain because Social communication skills are fundamentally motoric in nature. So when infants reach for objects, when they first learn to reach for objects, eventually they use these objects to show them to their caregivers and communicate their interests with their caregivers. When they first learn to walk, they use that walking skill to bring something over to the parent to engage with them. So these are just simple examples that we've studied in the lab, and we've shown in past publications that uh, young infants at risk for autism were not using their uh, reaching or walking skills to communicate with their caregivers. Um, so how is praxis uh, related to social communication? So praxis is the ability to perform and copy action sequences by observing others. So when you observe others, perform skills, you know, daily living skills, dressing, putting shoes on, you learn a little bit about how to perform those skills. I agree that you have to practice it and observing is not enough, but many everyday skills can be improved through observation and practice. And so children who have difficulty performing, you know, a variety of motor skills will eventually have poor daily living skills performance, and this is also reported in past studies. Also, when they observe others and move with others, it creates a moment of shared engagement. So that helps build social connections with caregivers and peers um, around you. And actually, lastly, uh, the other paper that we've published in PTJ in the past that has focused on physical activity levels and exercise recommendations for individuals with autism, uh, we have described uh, several studies that show how children with autism are not participating in physical activity through play and recreation, and so therefore are at risk for obesity and social isolation. So I think there are many different ways in which uh, motor performance can impact um, development, uh, other forms of development, social communication and cognition. I appreciate your explanation. It makes a lot of sense. And as someone who has taught skiing with children with ASD for many years now, I've seen this in my own work with them. Uh, so it's a, it's a fascinating group of, of children to work with. I, I was interested that um, 
your your choice was creative yoga. What led you to that as the therapeutic intervention in these children uh, with autism spectrum disorder? Yeah, that was, again, um, you know, one of the creative approaches we have explored. We have explored other approaches like music and movement, dance, and then uh, went on to explore yoga. And yoga in itself is a bare-bones sort of minimalistic approach to physical activity and exercise, and so that has its own advantages. You don't need a lot of props or materials to engage in uh, yoga activity. Um, So it made sense to try it out with children and make it more child-friendly. So we decided to embrace some creativity in it. So we would make it uh, more fun through use of songs or stories, games, music, uh, visual um, pictures, so visual picture schedules, and also props. And so that provided more context uh, when performing poses and didn't make it boring for the children. So yoga in general, I think, is a great form of physical activity that is moderate in uh, intensity, so it's not very strenuous for children with autism, but at the same time has these components of imitation, uh, motor coordination, balance, uh, and is multi-system in nature. Um, So Yoga in general has its benefits, but also when coupled with creativity made it, you know, appropriate for this population. So, for example, if you used a row, row, row your boat song, we would sing the song and then practice the boat or river or waterfall pose as that word um, emerged in the song. And we collaborated with the music department faculty and students who sang the songs and recorded them for us. And so whenever the right pose came, we would pause and then we would practice the pose and then we would continue on with the song. Let me ask, how well did the parents of these children accept the the intervention as you've described it? How did they accept it um, in terms of... um, in terms of how they delivered it at home, or what did they think no. of it in general? Yes, what did they think of it? And did, were they comfortable with it? Was it something they were excited about, or was it something foreign to them that kind of put them off? Actually, no. There is, I my of the three approaches that I have explored so far: the music and movement. Um, yoga and dance. Yoga has by far been the most uh, well accepted by parents. Uh, You know, we are always having a home program component where we develop an instructional video and provide supplies to the parents and ask them to do the activities at home, uh, a part or a portion of the activities that are easier for them to do. And in this case, it was um, breathing poses and relaxation and we got the most parent compliance in this study compared to the other studies that we've done, the music and dance, because those require um, more uh, skill on the parent Mm -hmm. side, and these Mm -hmm. are more familiar activities. I think people know the downward dog pose or the tree pose, and so it's easy for them to follow along uh, with the trainer who is in the video. 
So I think there was most parent compliance, and um, they did value the fact that their children were getting stronger and were interacting with uh, people other than them. Um, and so I think they really liked it. Oh, that's great. I, I know my four-year-old grandson loves the dog with uh, our dog pose. <laughs> he, yes. he thinks that's great. Yeah. How severe were these children on the autism spectrum? How severe were they? I would say from um, uh, what we have in terms of their autism severity scores, they were um, moderate to high functioning, and in terms of motor performance, they were average or below average in their motor performance. So, um, you know, in our paper, we've justified taking um, children who were at average motor performance by saying they still had room for improvement. So nobody was mm -hmm. doing superb in terms of their motor abilities. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing we have noticed that the across, again, all three studies, not just the yoga study, uh, that the the extent of improvement is usually more in children who are low, lower functioning. And so some of the results that we got uh, for example, you've mentioned later um, that they did not show an improvement in balance, I think is um, mired by the fact that we had some high-functioning children, so we did not see group trends for improvements in balance. Um, so I think that if I had to do this all over, I would include more moderate and lower-functioning children so they have the ability to improve more following an intervention. Sure. I was struck that the controlled children in what you called the academic intervention were doing activities such as reading, arts, and crafts. Why did you choose this form of control? Yeah, so I was um, really impressed with this question as well. Um, so we wanted to use the standard of care as the comparison or uh, control group, and so that's why we use seated um, ABA, or what's uh, called Applied Behavioral Analysis-based uh, activities, and these are the types of activities children receive in their schools, uh, because many of these children are not always receiving motor interventions, although there is clearly a need for a motor intervention. So, um, you know, the standard of care is sort of the seated fine motor play, and so that's why we went with that. But we exactly uh, agree with your comment, and so what we are doing now, moving forward in a new study, which is a complex intervention combining music, dance, and yoga, and for this study, the control group actually receives general physical activity. It receives components of strengthening, endurance, and flexibility, uh, but without the creative part, so without the music or the dance or the yoga aspects. Um, and so it, that's a great point that we should we could have done that um, in the in this study, but in the one that's coming up, we are actually doing that. That'll be very interesting to see if the difference in type of physical activity makes a difference in terms of impact. I look forward Absolutely. to seeing that, Angela. Yep. It, with your dose for your intervention was four sessions per week, two with the experts two with the parents, 
40 to 45 minutes for the experts, 20 to 25 for the parents, and he did it for eight weeks. Uh, I'm interested in how you chose that dose and, and how successful you were in delivering it. Yeah. Um, so I went by what is typically practiced in school settings. So, you know, in speaking to PT clinicians, practicing PT clinicians, they will typically see the child in a one-on-one -on -one session, um, in a sort of a pull-out session, pull-out therapy session, uh, where they are working with the child individually, and then they might also see them again that week um, in the classroom while the child is playing with other peers or, you know, doing work with other peers. And so typically the maximum in a school setting is two days per week, and then we thought that if we had to ask parents to do it, we would ask at least that much, uh, two days per week. Um, and we know that parents are really busy, so we wouldn't ask them to do the 45 minutes or one hour, which is typically what a clinician might get, um, you know, 30 to 45 minutes with a child uh, sure. in the school sure. setting. So, so we went a little lower in terms of dosing for the parents because they are busy and may not have that kind of time to devote to this intervention. Uh, so it was based on what is often practiced in school settings. Um, and I would say that 50% of that was delivered by us, right? So if there were four sessions per week, we delivered two of those. Um, and what we know from training diaries is that for the yoga group, at least 72% on average was delivered. So the parents did do a little bit more, but they were not able to do their entire 50%. And the um, academic group actually did even better. They did the 80% of the intervention that was asked of them. Uh, and I think that's because those activities are much more familiar and practiced in school, practiced at home often, you know, artwork. It's easy to do. Um, and so I think we got good parent compliance in this study, but that's not always the case uh, for other groups. I think it's quite good. From my experience, these parents are very devoted to their children, so I'm not surprised. They seem to really um, really jump in and really stay with uh, whatever their kid is doing. So that, I think that's quite impressive what you were able to achieve. Let's talk a little bit about the magnitude of the effect. I'm always interested in uh, clinical significance of the effect versus statistical significance. How would you describe the uh, clinical significance of the changes in gross motor performance and the imitation behaviors in the yoga group? Yes. So I know that most uh, other fields in PT are moving towards the notion of clinically significant improvements, but I don't know if, uh, you know, novel pediatric interventions are there yet. Uh, so we did report effect sizes, and for the standardized motor performance, gross motor performance measure for the yoga group, it was about medium, and for the imitation errors, it was large. There, was, there were large effects. Uh, so which suggests to me that future studies should explore this tool um, to improve skills, motor skills in children with special needs. We have applied it to autism, but this approach could be applied to other diagnoses as well. 
but there are done to know what is clinically significant. And in pediatrics, what is clinically meaningful is what the parent wants. So, you know, we want to see a functional change that is valued by the child and the family. Um, so ideally moving forward, so in this next study, we are also including many functional and um, participation measures. So we are including the two-minute walk test, the timed up-and-go test. Perhaps we could have used the locomotion items on the pediatric uh, evaluation of disability inventory, so the PEDI, um, you know, like climbing stairs and how fast they were climbing stairs before and after. Um, but it is hard to tell if there would be a carryover from the yoga training to everyday activities with just two months of intervention. Um, perhaps when, if we use a more prolonged intervention, we'll see that type of carryover. Um, so I'm sorry to give you all other answers except what is clinically significant, but I think we haven't reached there yet, um, at least for these novel interventions in pediatrics. I think it's a fair answer, and it nicely points to the future line of uh, work that you're doing, which I find really interesting. This is really an important area, and uh, I look forward, uh, Dr. Bahat, to seeing future work uh, that you and your colleagues are doing, and I hope you'll consider PTJ um, for that work when, when it's ready for publication. Again, thank you for taking the time today. I really enjoyed talking to you about your research. Uh, thank you for this opportunity.